Good afternoon, everyone. This is your call to worship. Today is the fourth Saturday of the new year, January 22nd, 2022. Greetings on behalf of our pastor, Reverend Dr. Melson Black. Welcome to Refuge from the Storm Church, a ministry of hope, encouragement, and purpose. We to serve targeted individuals in North America and around the world. To our regular members, our new listeners and guests, thank you for spending a portion of your Saturday with us. Your presence is very important to us, and thank you for coming. We pray that something that is said or done today will encourage you. Draw near to God, and God near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God will exalt you. Remember, God is fighting your battles, arranging things in your favor, making a way even when we don't see it. Our serving team today is Brother Bob Pierce, our Zoom moderator, Sister Helena Thompson, our Minister of Music, Pastor Milson Black will deliver the preach word, Sister Sharon Taylor will offer the altar prayer, Greta Ayers will offer the invitation to discipleship, and I will be guiding you. I, Carolyn Cunningham, will be guiding you through the rest of the service. We ask all of you on this call to pray for in your daily prayers for Refuge from the Storm Church members, the Worldwide Church, our families and friends, TIs Worldwide, and advocacy and activist groups, Pray for the loved ones of those who have died from the coronavirus. Pray for the overtaxed medical professionals during this time of dire need. Pray that all government officials be moved by the Holy Spirit to do the will of God and not their will. Pray for victims of the climate crises around the world. Pray for all refugees, particularly the Haitians, who are fleeing multiple crises from the earthquake to political upheaval and extreme violence. For your attention. Now, after the next uh, praise and worship song, I will offer uh, the... uh, A Bible Bible verses and a prayer, and we'll lead you through the rest of the service. Thank you. And thou fount of every blessing. We don't even think about it like that. That you can you know walk through some parks where they have a fountain that's spewing up water. And the water's coming up out of the center and it's flowing over and into the basin of the of the uh fountain of the of the fountain and and sometimes you'll see people who will walk up to a fountain and throw coins in uh and they're praying for a blessing as they throw their coins in but we don't have to do that we just ask god to calm that fountain of every blessing and it may not be a physical blessing but boy we could get blessing of peace and blessing of joy 
and blessing of love and blessing of confidence and blessing of comfort. And all we have to do is ask God to come. He is our fountain of every blessing, especially the blessing of Jesus the Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. And through him, we have fellowship with the Father and with one another. Good evening. I, I thank God for another opportunity to share with you. I welcome you to this service this afternoon in conjunction with Elder Carolyn. I give honor to God and to Jesus, my Savior, and to the Holy Spirit, my teacher, my comforter, my helper, my intercessor. I also want to thank the ministry team. I never want to go without uh, acknowledging and thanking the ministry team. To those who are both serving today and those who will have your chance to serve in the near future, thank you. Thank you so very much for sharing with us your time, your talent, and your treasure to benefit the kingdom of God. I don't hesitate to tell you what a blessing it is to work with each of you. Now, it's always appropriate to give an appreciation to God as I share with others that we live all across the United States, from California to Maryland, from Texas to Ohio, Middle Tennessee to Washington State to Delaware, and you would not know that we're working together by God's grace through a conference call. We get together on Zoom, we get together on talk shoes, sometimes we get together on just a regular cell phone, but God allows us to bring services to you each week through these means. Only God could cause a group of people to work together so seamlessly and to him be the glory. Our scripture this afternoon is coming from Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 and 31, as we continue in the series that I've begun on the blessing. These scriptures read as thus, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for all of the many ways that we get so much encouragement from your word. 
We thank you, Father, for your wisdom to document it in, in a way that we would be able to read it 6,000 years later. Read of your glory, read of your magnificent acts, read of your wonder, mighty work and power. And God, for all of this, we are grateful. We're grateful, Father God, to be those on whom you have bestowed the blessing of life, the blessing, oh God, of life, not just any old way, but God, straight from your own nostrils, you breathe the breath of life. We thank you, Father, for all of the ways that we can see and that we will talk about even today, Lord, that you have blessed us and bless us continuously. And so, Lord, as we go into this, this message, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, oh God, help us to see the wondrous ways in which you have been so good to us through the blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this evening is The Blessing of the Garden. The Blessing of the Garden. We have to start at the beginning and I see where God first gave a blessing. And it was to the, first of all, to the animals, believe it or not, and then to Adam and to Eve. Well, I have embarked on a pretty deep study on this topic called the blessing, including what it means to be blessed. The Oxford Advanced Learner's Dictionary tells us that the meaning of the word blessed is one made holy, consecrated. Another definition it gives is endowed with divine favor and protection. And still another definition of the word blessed is bringing pleasure or relief as a well contrast, as a welcome contrast to what one has previously experienced. I'm going to read that one again because we can we can tie on to this one and hold on until we see the manifestation. It says the word blessed can mean bringing pleasure or relief as a welcome contrast to what one has previously experienced. I believe we could all say amen to that. We are waiting on the blessing of the cessation of this torture program that causes such, wreaks such havoc in our lives and causes such chaos. It would be such a wonderful exchange in experiences. The Greek definition of the word blessed comes from makarios, which describes a believer as being in an enviable position for receiving God's provision, his favor. Now that also bears repeating because we have to think of who we are as believers in God and in Christ Jesus that those on the outside of the family of God describe us as being in an enviable position for receiving God's provision. This happens with accepting the Lord's offer of relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. And so if someone asks you how you can be going through all you're going through and still have joy, we say it's because I'm in the family of God. 
How can you go through all that you're going through and not complain and grumble and not get angry and be hateful towards people? It's because I have the joy of the Lord down on the inside of me and because the fruit of the spirit is being produced in my life. So to the rich man, to be blessed is to have a multi-million dollar estate with all the bedrooms and bathrooms he or she could desire. But to the poor man, to be blessed was a warm place to sleep last night. You see, to a person who slept under the shelter of a box in a car or van does not mean that it was warm. So to them being blessed might have simply had been having a warm place to sleep last night. To a rich man, to be blessed might mean having all the money you need and then some. To the poor man, to be blessed would be having enough to buy food, water. To a single mother, it might be having enough to buy food for her family, pay the rent, car note, gas for the week, and buy lunch for the children. These conditions, rich or poor, can be found by the saved or the unsaved alike. Poverty, lack, and even sickness knows no limits, no restrictions, and have no restraints. It does indeed seem that riches and favor go more to the unsaved than the saved sometimes. Certainly, we have had our share of loss through this program, it seems that my blessings were stolen on the way to me. Does anyone else feel like that? Every time I'm in line for a blessing, it gets snatched. I applied for social security disability in 2002. And was told, was told in and and was actually received a denied letter but then i was told by social security in 2009 seven years later y'all that i had been approved in 2002 but they didn't offer me any rebate any refund of the money i had lost and you see if i had been approved in 2002, what that would have meant to me is that I would have received my entire salary from my job. I had brought into long-term disability and that meant that my whole salary would have become mine if I had received disability at the point that I was actually approved for it. It also would have meant that I would have had a pension now because my job would have been required to continue to pay into my retirement fund. As a result of what the enemy stole from me, I lost all of my pension, seven years of full salary, and then was robbed of the opportunity of going into a new career as I got my master's in marriage and family therapy. You see, I was preparing to become a therapist for the rec second half of my life. But I wasn't able to do that in integrity because I knew that 
confidentiality was no longer something that I could promise to a client. And yet I can still tell you today that I'm blessed that I have life. I'm blessed that I'm indoors and not out of doors. I'm blessed that I'm riding in a car, even though it's constantly being threatened. I'm not walking like some. I'm blessed because I have breath in my body and there's a reasonable portion of my health and strength. I'm blessed because I can see and I'm constantly challenged to turn my eyes away or to look down. I'm going, no, or to close my eyes. No, thank God for the gift of sight. It's a blessing. To be blessed according to the Amplified Bible is to be happy, fortunate, and to be envied. Do you think many people look at us anymore and consider us blessed? I shared with you last week what Bishop Jake said about being blessed. He says to be blessed is the innate, uncanny ability to triumph over opposition. That no matter how many times you get knocked down, you keep getting up. No matter how many times your hands are tied around uh, uh, behind your back, just like Houdini, God keeps breaking you loose. No matter how many times you, are, you lose, God keeps making a way for you. That's the innate, uncanny ability to triumph over opposition. But this week, I found it enlightening to learn that the English dictionary describes blessing not as wealth or comfort, but rather being made holy. <clears throat> now the working and the money and the house and the car all comes from the money from working. And that's something that anyone can do, saved or unsaved. But the ability to walk in the holiness of the almighty God only comes to a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. To the sinner, to be blessed is to have access to a holy God through the blood sacrifice of God's son, Jesus. And yet he may not even know it. He may not realize how far beneath his privileges he's living by just one simple, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Now, you know, some of the sinners would look at us today and say, well, you don't look so blessed. You know Jesus, is he doing all of that for you? Well, yes, because no matter what it looks like down here, when I leave here, I don't have to worry about where I'm going. I don't have to worry about being suspended and out of anywhere because the word says the spirit goes back to the God that gave it. It means I'm going to always have a home. I'll always have a home. Sharon Walton wrote in a uh, an article that I read, she said, in essence, the truest form of being blessed is to be made aware of our wretched state, led to repentance, sanctified for holiness, and to one day receive the crown of righteousness. And the only way to have any of that is Jesus. It's possible to walk around in a, in a state of wretchedness. Remember what Isaiah said when he saw the, the Lord and he couldn't see him until after his uncle died. 
He says, then I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. But when I saw the Lord, I also saw my wretched state. And then he cried, woe am I. Do you realize that was a blessing? Isaiah wouldn't, would have never thought that the only way he could see the Lord was that his uncle would leave. But just perhaps his uncle was taking God's place in Isaiah's eyes. But when he left, he says, then I saw the Lord. So whatever it is that brings a sinner to Christ, whatever it is that causes them to lay down the bottle, give up the drugs, give up the women, walk away from the life of crime and see the Lord, that's when they become blessed. They're led to repentance and then sanctified through Jesus alone. And then they receive the blessing and the promise of a time in the hereafter with God. That day that they receive their crown of righteousness. So how would you explain to someone who has not accepted Jesus why they should? I'd start off by saying because of all the blessed benefits you receive. And they're not any you can see with your eyes, but they're all some that God will give you in a way that you will know that you know that you know that you know something has happened in my life. Genesis is said to have been written by Moses along with the Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy of the Pentateuch. However, in the last 300 years, Scholars and critics question how Moses could have known about some of the supernatural acts of God when Moses had not even been born. I do not doubt that God could not have told Moses these facts in order that a complete accounting of creation could be documented for humanity. If you think about all of the activities that went on in the book of Genesis, and it was chocked full. There was no, no more action like that till Jesus came. But what we do know is God performed everyone. God made man to know that he was God. And then God made a promise, even in the book of Genesis, that there was going to be a savior on the way. Adam and Eve had all the privileges of any child of God, and God even provided for those who were not his, as they too were allowed to eat food they did not plant. They were allowed to get food from God's forest, rivers, and streams, for everything was God's, and God gave it all to them. They did not have to make a commitment to God for anything. He didn't say, I'll take care of you if you give me this, or you can eat of all of my fish and, and, and animals, and look at this garden that I planted. And there's all of these trees. The trees are full of herbs and seed and things that will cause you to live and be happy. Nope. God told Adam, 
You can have anything that's in this garden except to eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. We said it was an apple on that tree. The Bible didn't say that, but it did say that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They only had to wait in the garden for God to come and have communion with them. What if we? that's all we had to do? Didn't have to go to a job. Didn't have to worry about mortgage or rent. Didn't have to worry about how to get around town. Had anything we wanted. All we had to do was wait on God to come and commune with us. Wonder how long it would take us to mess it up. Everything that was needed for them to live was provided. Don't you know that Satan was angry about this? He didn't like the, the light, first of all, that God had placed in the earth. Then he didn't like being out of control. That's what a narcissist does. The world was without form and void. It was all darkness. Nothing was separated, not the light nor the darkness. The sun, the earth and the sea were not separated, nothing. Then God took an interest and decided to make it something. This is a good place to remind each of us that we are nothing without God. We would not have been anything because that's what Satan wanted, nothing. That's what he's trying to make of our lives now, right? Nothing. He wants us to have nothing, to be nothing, to do nothing, and to go nowhere. Have no friends. He had nothing to offer then, and he has nothing to offer now. But he's working really hard not to make this world anything again but God. The word tells us that God created the heaven and everything that's in it in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. And here I have a soapbox that I will try not to get on today about what all God did in those seven days. The Bible mentions 128 plants that were part of everyday life in ancient Israel and its Mediterranean neighbors. And I can feel comfortable to add the Mediterranean neighbors, neighbors because God created everything. Egypt is also mentioned in another place as a place from which some of these plants might have come. I'm reminded of a mother planning for a newborn. Everything was set in order that, that we might feel loved and wanted as God thought about how to feed us, that we might grow. And think of it. God took the challenge of feeding us both spiritually and physically that we might live and grow on himself. God did that. He provided the food in the garden for Adam and Eve, and then he provided himself. There were no televisions, no radios, no CD players, no movies, no YouTube, no um, oh, Spotify. There no CD players in the cars. That was just God. And God was enough. 
I marvel to see how specific God was as he prepared for humanity to inhabit his earth. I'm reminded of him. I'm going backwards, y'all. But think of it. God took the challenge of feeding us both spiritually and physically that we might live and grow. And some of the plants are those that we still are very fond of today. Almonds, apples, cucumbers, grapes. Then there are some herbs, nettle and wormwood. In Leviticus, it talks about flax being accessible to the children of Israel. And flax today is used for arthritis, bronchitis, cancer, dermatitis, heart disease, inflammation, and rheumatism. Garlic was found in the book of Numbers, and it's used today for angina. That's something with the heart. Cancer, colds, diabetes, flu, hypertension, infections. Milk thistle is found in Genesis chapter 3, just as they were getting thrown out of the garden. Milk thistle was, was mentioned. And it's used for asthma, for cirrhosis of the liver, for hepatitis and jaundice. It's also used for kidney, urinary tract stones, and psoriasis. Then there's turmeric. Mentioned in the Song of Solomon is used for inflammation, for flatulence and arthritis, for bronchitis, diuretic knees is something that turmeric can be used for. It's used for laryngitis, lymphoma, and rheumatism. Do you think God thought of everything? I think he did. I looked up some of the herbs in the Bible and found aloe vera is one. Cilantro root, for those of us who never uh, have used cilantro for anything but cooking, it's also good for leaching heavy metal out of the body. Coriander seed, cinnamon, cumin, frankincense, myrrh, mustard seed, pistachio nuts. All of these are herbs that were found in the Bible. Obviously, nuts were not. And some of them were spices. There were trees that bore seed in the, in the Bible. I just talked about the almond tree, pistachio, but then there were also seed that bore fruit. Now, this is something I, I found very, very interesting. There were fruit that had seeds like apples and oranges, um, figs and dates. And then there are nuts that are called fruit. The meat is called fruit. So then you've got your, your um, I'm, I'm just going to call off pecans, but that wasn't one. But well, it is because there's pecan wood that's used for food. I mean, for, um, for, for building. But there's also walnuts, walnuts. And these are mentioned both in Ezekiel and in Revelation as they talk about the when God told Ezekiel that on the banks of that river in, in Ezekiel 43, I believe, that the, the leaves on the trees were for healing and the, food, the fruit was for food. In the book of Revelation, it says that there were 12 kinds of tree of fruit and it yielded a fresh crop each month. 
and the leaves of the tree were for healing the nations. And then it went on and said, no longer will there be any curse because the curse started in the garden. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. There are some essential oils that are mentioned in the Bible that came from some of these trees that God had planted for use. Aloe, which produces sandalwood. The cassia, which produces cinnamon. Cedarwood, cypress, frankincense comes from a tree. Hyssop and myrrh comes from a tree. Myrtle is, is uh, an oil that comes from a tree. There are also, as I've already talked about, spices like cinnamon and cloves. Do you all believe they come from a, an evergreen tree? I was just amazed. Then there are the mints, peppermint, spearmint that comes from the little plants that you can grow in the garden. Now, there's something that I thought was so interesting. Because of the tiny molecular structure of the components of the essential oil, they are extremely concentrated. Consequently, it only takes one drop to produce 40 million trillion molecules. When I, and it says here that, <laughs> it says if you can't think of what 40 million trillion is, think of four plus 19 zeros. It takes one drop of oil to minister to 100 trillion cells in our bodies. And that's a lot. So just think about it. And I was told by a massage therapist that less is more. That if you were going to use essential oils, especially if you were going to use a, what they call a carrier oil with it, that you should use more of the carrier oil, but only three drops. She said, don't use more than three drops of oil. That's all it needs. And when you rub the oil, whether it's on the spot that's hurting, on the bottom of your feet, on your hands, on your ears, she said it goes straight to the area that is needing it. And it takes pure oxygen there. And that's what brings healing to the body. Just studying this and thinking about how God went to the trouble of planning all of this to know exactly what we would need. He didn't leave it for us to need or want anything. Shows you how much he loved us. One of the ways that God blessed us is through the meticulous way that he made certain foods to be shaped like the part of the body. It is thought to nourish. I found 10 of those. One is the walnut, shaped like the brain. I had never heard of this one. Celery is shaped like the bones. Sweet potatoes is shaped like the pancreas when you cut it open and look at the way it is on the inside. Ginger is shaped like a stomach. That helped me because I thought ginger was the ugliest fruit I've ever seen. But it's supposed to be shaped like the stomach because it's designed to give aid to the stomach. Red wine, it says, is, is the color of blood. A carrot, if you cut it open and look into the center, it's shaped like the eyes. Tomato, when you cut it open, it's shaped like the heart. Avocado is like the uterus. 
Grapes are like the lungs. Onions are like body cells. Think about how God prepared that garden for Adam and Eve. It doesn't say that all of these were in there. So then think about how God prepared us to live in his world. The tragedy of the story of Adam and Eve is the way they got banished from the garden. A curse came upon the whole world because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The snake came and enticed the woman to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says she got the man to eat also. Then we learned that what the Bible doesn't say is that it was a snake, though we are often told that it was. We do know that it was a serpent. The serpent is said to represent death, destruction, rebellion, and it certainly poisoned the relationship between God and his family. Now to the church and to the Christian, the serpent is still alive. He's represented by Satan who essentially carries out the same tactics only today is through the deception of mankind. It's the spirit of the devil who causes man to move away from God's care and decide that he can care for himself. It's greed, hatred, money, and power as we see in politics today. Unfortunately, these behaviors spill over into the family to cause separation and division between both the natural family and our heavenly father. But one tree was to bear the body of our savior when he came to save the world from their sins. Apparently many scholars have not named the tree that held our savior. I looked to see if there was actually a name for it. Some only called it a pole, but without a consensus, there is the well-known legend of the dogwood tree. The dogwood tree is, is a beautiful little tree that explodes in white blossoms each spring and is one of the favorite blooming trees among men. The legend holds that the tree was once a very large tree, like a great oak tree. And because its wood was strong and sturdy, it provided building material for a variety of purposes. According to the story, it was the dogwood tree that provided the wood used to build the cross on which Jesus was crucified. Because of its role in the crucifixion, it is said that God both cursed and blessed the tree. It was cursed to forever be small so that it would never grow large enough again for its wood to be used as a cross for a crucifixion. Its branches would be narrow and crooked, not good for building at all. At the same time, however, the tree was blessed so that it would produce beautiful flowers each spring just in time for the resurrection. To remember God's promise to the tree, it is said he gave it a few traits so that whoever looks upon it will never forget. If you haven't ever looked at the blossoms of a dogwood tree, when it comes out again this spring and we're not many months away, take the time to examine the petals of the dogwood. Notice that it's actually formed in the shape of a cross. Upon close examination, it can be seen that the blossoms of the tree always have four petals. The middle of the dogwood flower has a tight grouping resembling a crown of thorns. 
and the tips of each of the petals are indented and kind of scorched, scorched as if they bear a nail dent. There are even colors in the petals that bring to mind the drops of blood that spoiled, that spilled during the crucifixion. And I have taken time to examine a dogwood tree. Many of us have picked just one to put in our Bibles to be reminded of the cross every time we look in it. What do you think about when you think about the things I've said even now regarding how God cared for the garden that he planned for Adam and Eve? Unfortunately, Adam and Eve could not stay in the garden and that began the curse on humanity. I talked about that just a minute ago. The curse for Adam was that he would have to work to bring food to his family before God did that. He would have to till the ground and work at hard labor. The woman would have to bear children with pain. That was her curse. And all of that still work, is alive today. The other part of the curse, the most horrible part of the curse was that man then would be, was banished to death. What could give man the power to live again? God was now separated from his loved ones. And then came Jesus. As I've described the cross today, I ran across an article that was written by a guy named Steve Holloway. And he described what happened to Jesus as a lynching. I had thought about that before because I do know that what's happening to us is also called, last week I told you it was called the living death. But it is also called social lynching. They wouldn't call it the Holocaust for us. The Holocaust was in, uh, indeed a social issue as well. It's also called social engineering. But for some, the term that is used is social, social lynching. So to hear the word applied to Jesus, he said, is shocking. First, because the cross has been sanitized in our imagination and turned into a religious symbol. We don't often think of it as an act of mob violence supported by government and religious authorities. But do you see the similarities between you and, and me? What's happening to us is also mob violence. It's also supported by government and religious authorities. Second, Steve said, I think it is shocking to hear that Jesus was lynched because it makes you wonder why such an obvious way to describe what happened to Jesus has never been used in American churches. But twice in the book of Acts, the apostolic preachers say that Jesus was hanged on a tree. And Paul takes the old law that says anyone hanging on a tree is cursed to make the point that Jesus bore the curse for us. But it never crossed our minds that Jesus was like strange fruit hanging from the popular trees. Now in his message, Holloway noted some similarities between the two ways of execution that he read in a book that was written by James Cone that was entitled, Jesus and the Lynching Tree. 
Both the cross and the lynching tree were symbols of terror, instruments of torture and execution, reserved primarily for slaves, criminals, and insurrectionists, just like those of us who are called targets for fun. Both Jesus and, and, and African-Americans, like targets, like we are, were publicly humiliated, subjected to the utmost indignity and cruelty. They were stripped in order to be deprived of dignity, then paraded, mocked, and whipped, pierced, tortured for hours in the presence of jeering crowds for popular entertainment. I was told that what's happening to us is called entertainment and sensationalism. They didn't tell us, didn't tell me all the horrible things that would be done to us. However, have you seen any of what's happening to you and what I just read? Deprived of dignity. That stripping my mom told me was losing your job, losing your house, losing your car, losing your family. She called that stripping. Then paraded, mocked, and whipped and pierced. All that's done both in gang stalking and in electronic surveillance, even in our homes and in private parts of our homes. And indeed, we are tortured for hours. But those are the exact same things that happened to our Savior as he was lynched on a cross. In both cases, the purpose was to strike terror in the subject community. It was to let people know that the same thing would happen to them if they did not stay in their place. Does all of this ring a bell to you? What's happening to us is being done in public to make others afraid that what's happening to us would happen to them and they keep silent. I was even told that by, by several people. They didn't want it to happen to them. But God, when they did this to Jesus, God said to Satan, you're finished. Paul the apostle wrote, if they had known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And I have to, have to say this evening that if they knew what they were doing, if they knew who we were to God, that he would trust us with this matter, perhaps we would not be under surveillance tonight. And yet we get to use the very instruments, the very electronic devices that are used to surveil us, to talk about the God who sent his son to be lynched on a cross. That even those who do these horrible things to us may be saved, that they may be forgiven, that they may become righteous and have a right to an eternity in Jesus, in, in, in heaven with God. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them when they take their last breath in earth because God, if they have received Jesus Christ, still offers them an opportunity to step out of earth into heaven, out of death, because that's where they're living. They're even living in death, y'all, into life. And that life is everlasting. On the way to the cross, Jesus had to stop at the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That was a garden, y'all. Had a different assignment. 
but it was a garden nonetheless. Though Peter, James, and John were with him this time, Jesus probably remembered the many times he had come to that very garden alone to spend time with his father. In fact, he might have been in that garden when he wrote John 17 to his father. John 17 is one prayer that I love so much. Jesus was so tender in his speech to God the Father. And he was asking, now that I'm almost ready to come home, I just want to have my place with you once again. Someone else had a vision of their own that inspired the words to this song in the garden. Those words read, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And then he thought about it and the chorus says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I pray that you have made it a determination to find your garden and to spend time with God in that garden. That you've made a decision that I'm going to tarry here as long as it takes until God shows up. Because when God shows up, the songwriter poemed it in the verse, in the chorus, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as, he, as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Have you ever gone in to your garden for an experience with God and come out disappointed? Have you ever gone in and not known him to hug you and tell you that he loves you and remind you that though it's hard right now, it's going to be all right after a while? Because that's probably what he was saying to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane on his way to the cross. Don't you know God knew we were going to be lynched? He knew we weren't going to be able to stand the humiliation except he walked with us, hallelujah, and talked with us and told us that we were his own don't you realize that he had to let jesus tell the disciples so that disciples could tell us that the joy that jesus left for us the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away sure they took away our homes some of us lost our retirement some of us lost our friends Others have lost family members. But the joy we share with God himself, when we dare to go to the garden, nobody else will ever be able to experience it. And the joy we share, not because of our pain and suffering, but in spite of it, as we tarry there in the garden, none other, hallelujah, has ever, no. Amen.